the best-selling compliance handbook by compliance evangelist and compliance podcast network founder tom fox has been updated revised and improved in its new second edition this new podcast series will build upon the best nuts and bolts compliance handbook around to provide you the best information on implementing and enhancing a best practices compliance program Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today you're in for a real treat. I have Vanessa Rossi with me. We've known Vanessa for quite some time, and she is a subject matter expert around third-party risk management. So, Vanessa, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for coming on the Compliance Handbook. Thank you for inviting me. I've, I've been a fan of your podcast for a while. Happy to join. So, Vanessa, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? I sure can. So Tom, like a lot of compliance attorneys and compliance professionals my age, I did not start off in compliance. I had a unique route, in fact. Um, Out of law school, I started as a family lawyer and then went into insurance defense. And one of my corporate clients at that firm brought me into their company, which led me to uh, corporate America. And over 16 years, um, I was at two different Fortune 500 companies. At one of those companies, I got to start their first centralized compliance program, an anti-bribery program. And at the second company, I was able to manage a mature compliance and third-party program, including living through um, an acquisition, which was very interesting professionally. And I'm glad I had that opportunity. And then to round it all out, uh, my route took me to the Q4 2019, I started my own compliance practice. So I've had the uh, privilege of also starting a new compliance program, but I was wondering if you could tell us kind of what your experience was, the challenges that you faced coming from, you know, the the law side of things and how, how did you design, create, and then implement a compliance program? So fortunately at my first company, um, I was reporting to a very talented vice president of enterprise risk, risk management. Um, sort of a beginning title for chief compliance officer. And that company implemented a very comprehensive enterprise risk management program first before they dove into centralizing corporate compliance. So I developed that program with the team under that umbrella. And that at that time frame, which would have been 2010 to 2014, we were not unlike a lot of companies where there was a lot of regulatory compliance compliance going on at the company by very good subject matter experts. But if you remember the term we were all using at the time, which was the siloed programs. And so the corporate compliance program we sought to develop was to give a more holistic approach to the compliance that was already going on at the company. And this involved gathering the data and the statistics and the mitigation tasks that were already being done by the different departments, putting in a cadence of common reporting formats, and then doing a risk assessment so that we could prioritize which compliance challenges to tackle first. And we did the heat map exercise so that we made sure we put our our time and our efforts where the risk was the highest. And then at that same company where I first dove into corporate compliance, I was able to start the first anti-bribery program at that company. And I I really enjoyed that. Um, One of my, and that started from identifying third parties to training employees for the first time on what the FCPA was, which we were all kind of in the same boat. I remember the first time I was given FCPA under my remit, first I went back to my office and Googled FCPA. (laughs) 
um, and then read the statute. And then, and then I turned it into a career. Um, but I really enjoyed developing a, an anti-bribery program from scratch. It wasn't easy, um, but I, I did enjoy it. And I've often been asked what was my, my favorite thing um, in developing a program like that. And really, I, we did the risk ranking uh, with the weighted factors, um, some of the typical ones you're used to seeing, like country type of third party and revenue brought in, and then risk ranking the third parties. And, and that was really fun to undertake. I remember um, when I sat down to read the statute as well, and <laughs> my, my first thought was, this is actually manageable. I can read this. I can understand this. Unlike other laws, and I've done a lot of uh, legal work in state of Texas laws where they were monumentally long. Uh, right. So it was interesting to see you start with, okay, let me read the statute. That's right. That's after you got the program up and running, did your challenges change or were they extensions of really what you started out with? They were extensions um, of what we started out with. As you can imagine, in an initial third-party management program, um, conducting due diligence on historical or, you know, the legacy third parties took some socializing um, and also developing a training matrix. Um, you know, the, the company employees are very accustomed to onboarding compliance training and it was done very well, but we added this new type of training for FCPA and third-party management. And so developing the ma matrix across a, a global employee population for targeted and, and overall training was a challenge but but we did it, and, and we rolled it out into onboard onboarded training, and then um, targeted training depending on an employee's job type. Let me pick up on a word you use there, and it was socialized, mm -hmm. and it really seems to me that that's a soft skill that compliance officers mm -hmm. need to have uh, because they they're not the general counsel; they can't come in and, and really uh, say we have to do it this way. Was that a skill you used with your colleagues? to help create your compliance program and get buy-in from other senior execs? Fortunately, we, we had the buy-in and the executive support, but socializing was really across the entire employee base. And that really was just education on what is the law? Why are we doing this? Is it really a risk for us? And why do you have to train me on this more than once? Um, so socializing takes um, training, it takes messaging and, and just repeating that messaging. So I'd like to now turn to uh, the second company you worked with. And uh, you mentioned that it was a little bit more mature in its compliance program. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the work you did there, particularly around third-party risk management. Mm -hmm. So um, I had the pleasure of stepping into a mature third-party management program. And to, to see it was innovative, it was well-resourced. Um, and I followed the, the policies and procedures in, in the very beginning and, and learned a lot. Like any good program though, and one of the hallmarks of course of an effective program is that you're constantly changing it. You're constantly risk assessing. So I was able to jump in and do that as well. And also as a new set of eyes, but it was it, the continuation of audits of third parties, um, if you had a, were joining a new country, how you evaluated that new country and what 30 third parties might be needed. So even though a mature program um, was what I was given, there is still always room for improvement 
And I was fortunate to have uh, a CCO and a team and, and talented people to help support that. So even at a mature company with a mature third-party risk program, you were engaging in uh, risk assessing, monitoring, and then incorporating those concepts uh, going forward on a continuous improvement basis? Yes, of course. And, and even benchmarking. You know, there are uh, a lot of companies out there with innovative programs. There are a lot of tech solutions out there that you should always be considering. You know, if, you're, if your program is not evolving, then it's not evolving with the company, the, uh, the risk the company faces every day. So in your work in the third-party risk management, I would assume you were working with others in the organization, business development folks, uh, due diligence providers, mm -hmm. and of course, after uh, perhaps legal, if they had to review contracts separate and apart from you, and then of course, execution of the third-party contracts after they were signed. I was wondering, mm -hmm. how did you, uh, did you have to use those sort of social skills you talked about when you were working with business development folks for things like a business justification or other things that were really uh, uh, where the business people would take the lead on mm -hmm. providing you information? Yeah, I think maybe what you're touching on is collaboration. And compliance really does cross so many different departments. So in addition to working with the business sponsor of the third party um, and with legal, we also collaborated with internal audit and later on collaborated with IT as well. So yes, that's, I, you know, that's one of those soft skills that you talk about, the, the socializing, but it, uh, the other skill is collaboration. Does collaboration help or lead to greater buy-in in your opinion? Uh, I think it does because if you just foist a program, a compliance program on a department or on a, a business sponsor, um, and they don't understand why they're doing it, then you won't get the buy-in. But if you discuss with all stakeholders um, why an initiative needs to be undertaken, then you'll have the buy-in. And this can be from why do we need to audit this third party we've had for 25 years to why do we need to change training when we've been doing the same training for many, many years, or we're implementing new technology software. Um, if you want buy-in, then talk to the stakeholders. In the software example, talk to the stakeholders who are going to be using it every day. I think one of the most ubiquitous terms in compliance is due diligence. And, and I would hope that most of our colleagues know what that is, but I still get questions about what level of due diligence is required and then how do I assess it? Can you walk us through your, your decision-making process on how you would decide for a level of due diligence and then what would happen if a red flag appeared? How, how would you think through clearing it? So the level of due diligence can't be done ad hoc, um, especially if you've got global third parties, numerous third parties. You have to already have a framework in place on what level of due diligence needs to be done. You need to already have a risk ranking framework. Um, and, you know, it's the, a lot of the common elements of country, um, the type of third party, the revenue they bring in, the interaction they have with uh, government officials to dictate your level of due diligence. If you try to do it ad hoc, um, you won't be making consistent decisions and your, your due diligence process has to be consistent. And then when due diligence would, due diligence would come in, if a red flag appeared, how would you think through working through that issue? Mm -hmm. um, 
When you identify a red flag, whether compliance identifies it or the business sponsor or you hear about it externally, depending on the type of red flag, you may need to halt the business transaction in process. Um, so that will depend, of course, on the, on the severity of the red flag. And compliance needs to have that autonomy and the power and the comfort level to say this red flag is going to causes us to pause this transaction or this red flag needs to cause us to pause onboarding so we can do a deeper dive. Could you tell us a little bit about the monitor, ongoing monitoring and ongoing auditing process uh, after the contract sign and why you think those are critical in the lifecycle management of a third party uh, risk management program? Certainly. Well, first, make sure you have the audit clause in your third party contracts. And those audit clauses should be fairly broad. They should allow you to audit the third parties upon your discretion and, of course, upon a triggering event. And then exercise that audit clause. For your high risk third parties, you should be having a periodic schedule of audits that you need to conduct. And then for ongoing monitoring, that can sound really intimidating, but there really are a lot of tasks you can undertake to continuously monitor your third parties after the onboarding and after the initial due diligence. Um, just to name a few examples, there is subsequent due diligence, maybe after two or three years or five years, depending on the risk of the third party. There is the continuous sanctions screening that can be done behind the scenes. There's also tracking your sales agent commissions and your distributor discounts, ensuring that they're always aligned with what the percentage said in the contract and always being paid to the place where the contract says they should be paid. All of these different tasks are considered continuous monitoring and you shouldn't be intimidated by thinking, I don't know how to stay on top of the third parties after I've onboarded them. The other important thing to remember is the information you gather during continuous monitoring, make sure you use it. There's nothing uh, riskier really than collecting information and, and uh, data on your third parties, but not acting upon it. You might miss a red flag. So in your uh, new role uh, as a consultant and welcome to the consulting world, mm -hmm. I don't think I formally welcomed you before, but how do you advise a company to think through a third party risk management program? Or if a company with a relatively mature program comes and asks you to perhaps give us uh some benchmarking or other guides to help us improve our program, how would you help them to think through some of the challenges that you might find? Right. Well, it's really two different types of clients, isn't it? Um, so a, a company starting a third-party management and due diligence program, first I would explain that it's, it's more than just risk-based due diligence of third parties. Um, it's really an ecosystem, and it starts from the business justification for even needing a third party in the in the first place, contract templates, onboarding due diligence, and then as we've already mentioned, the ongoing monitoring and auditing and subsequent due diligence of a third party. So to embark upon that is something you shouldn't have to do alone and you don't have to. There are law firms, consulting firms, Comtech, software, and also the guidance. Uh, the DOJ is still the, uh, the, the benchmark guidance. Uh, the evaluation of corporate compliance programs is, is just one of them. The FCPA guide, of course. Um, a lot of international companies are, are looking to ISO 37001. So anyone starting a program, 
I would encourage you to, to get assistance because it's out there and at all different price points. How, and and um, mature, I'm sorry, I didn't answer you. You had a second question, the right. mature program. So, you know, for program enhancements of a mature program, you really should follow the risk. You know, people in fraud will tell you, follow the money. Well, when you're looking to see how do I enhance my compliance program, follow the risk. Nobody can take on their entire compliance program and decide they're just going to improve every element. Um, that just can't be done. You don't have the time or the resources. So if you look at your past company risk assessment overall, that might help you dictate what to tackle first. Um, it could be something um, as very distinct as distributors in a particular risky region. I need to improve that program first to implementing new software. Um, it could also entail um, following up on audit findings. But if you follow that risk and make sure you're enhancing a, uh, an element of your program that is posing the most risk, you'll be more successful. Has the past year of COVID-19 and the coronavirus health crisis changed uh, your approach or any of the perhaps uh, guidance you've counseled companies with around third-party risk management? Of course it has, like like for everyone. And Tom, I know you have your, you have your pulse on new regulations and the enforcement um, of third-party management and FCPA risk. And the last I looked, I don't think the DOJ, the SEC or the Serious Fraud Office have added a pandemic defense. So my, my advice to clients is you can't take your eye off the third-party management ball. Um, you've got to continue with your due diligence procedures. You know, I know the beginning of the pandemic put a wet blanket on everything, but you need to continue with your third-party management elements. It, it, it's difficult, um, but you shouldn't stop doing it because if anything, uh, engaging with third parties got riskier in certain sectors and certain types of third parties. And so a lot of the things you can do are, are, are what I'm sure many of your listeners have been doing, which is if you were scheduled to do a live audit of a, a high-risk third party, you need to pivot it to a desk audit rather than just skipping it. Um, your, uh, your live in-person training, we all know we can do that training um, uh, through technology until we can get back to it, uh, live training. And then, you know, your, your rock star investigator who could hop on a plane and do an investigation in another country, we can do, we can do that again next year, you know, hopefully. So, but continue with the, if an, a finding comes up and do the best you can with a desk audit, seek other providers in that country and, and, and don't stop doing all the elements of your due diligence during this time. Uh, Vanessa, I started in the FCPA world uh, a little bit before you, and in 2007, the biggest risk were third parties. When you started around 2010, the biggest risk were third parties. Yes. When you moved to a more mature program, the biggest risk were third parties. As we yes. record this podcast in uh, now Q2 of 2021, the biggest risks are still third parties. Yes. But I wanted to, to not really dwell on the past, but ask you to think about or ask you if you could tell us what the companies need to think about going into maybe 2025 or even further about third-party risk management. Mm -hmm. So you're right. The risks haven't changed. The enforcements are still mostly related to a company's third parties. What I see changing now uh, and beyond is the technology support behind third-party management. 
Um, the elements and hallmarks of, of due diligence and a third-party risk management you know, are, are somewhat commoditized. You know, the, the best practices, we're, we're very familiar with them. Um, but now with new software, now with data analytics, you can make better decisions. You can make better compliance decisions on your overall program and for third-party risk. And Tom, you have always said for years, you know, what's the most important thing about a compliance program and, and third-party management is document, document, document. Well, to continue with that alliteration, that the, the new motto is data, data, data. I mean, have you seen a blog, a, a podcast, or, or been to a virtual conference where that hasn't been topic number one? And I think it's this data that is going to continue to, that will elevate um, third-party management programs because you can make better decisions with the data. Um, and the kind of data uh, is, is really broad. Um, as I mentioned before, it can be sales agent, commission tracking, distributor discounts, gifts, travel, and entertainment. If you have quality data on your third parties, you can make a better compliance decision. It's a, you know, you could say third-party management and even compliance itself, it's an art and a science. Um, the art is a CEO who can maintain a speak-up culture or an investigator who can navigate through a sticky, sensitive investigation. But if we can incorporate the data, the data that companies already have and use software or technology that helps us harness and interpret the data, then that brings in a scientific element to third-party management and compliance programs. You know, not unlike a scientific conclusion um, that is made upon data points um, and a high volume of data points, that can be done with third-party management too. You can make a better decision if you have quality, accurate data. Uh, could you tell us, uh, just give us a few words about the compliance consulting offerings that you have available now? Certainly. Well, it's really um, almost anything you can think of related to FCPA due diligence and third-party management. Um, the development, enhancement, or assessment of a third-party management program. Um, any you know single element of, of uh, third-party management programs, such as developing a risk ranking uh, formula for a company, outsourced due diligence, FCPA training, really anything related to to that, um, I like to offer my clients. Uh, we are getting near the end of our time, but before we uh, wrap this episode up, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the Greater Houston Business and Ethics Roundtable and your current role in that organization. I would be happy to. So I've been on the board of the Greater Houston Business Ethics Roundtable, or Gerber, as we say in Houston, for several years. Um, you actually uh, brought me onto the board. This year, I have the pleasure of serving as the president. And Gerber is the oldest compliance network in Texas, for sure, maybe the country. It was started almost 40 years ago by a woman, and it has evolved into webinars of advanced compliance training, benchmarking with compliance professionals um, around Houston. And actually, we've, we're expanding into San Antonio and Austin and sharing content with our peers there at those compliance organizations. And Gerber also um, fosters and supports compliance, the compliance profession through education. And we offer five different scholarships around universities um, in Houston 
for students wanting to uh, start a compliance career. Thank you for asking. Yeah, unfortunately, now we are at the end of our time, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on the topics you've raised or to get in touch with you, how could they do so? The fastest, easiest way is LinkedIn. Well, Vanessa, I wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast. I've wanted to have you for sure. some time, and I'm sure uh, your thoughts on third-party risk management will uh, really help a lot of people. So thank you. Thank you, Tom. And thank you for your continuing platform uh, to the compliance voice. I think you were one of the first, um, if not the first, um, and far-reaching platform for compliance professionals, and it's appreciated. This is Tom Fox. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Compliance Handbook. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and tune in next week. Until then, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks again, and I look forward to visiting with you again.